When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Yes, we are back in. Here we are with another edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. We have now crossed over on the calendar to February. And as we come your way, by the way, I'm merely the somewhat capable host. He is the owner, the operator, the purveyor. You read him all the time, sportsmediawatch.com. Good to be back with John Lewis. So let me get the pleasantries uh, underway here. How are things? Everything good? I know you're expecting lots of snowfall. I'm not supposed to tell you it will be 80 degrees in Florida later this week. Well, you know, uh, snow is is rough, uh, but at least uh, our our quarterback will still be here next year, as opposed to. In, in <laughs> well done, well played on that. Uh, all right, so as we come in, obviously the Tom Brady news is the biggest news, and I'm ready to get John's thoughts on all of this. Again, on the day that we are taping the official announcement, as official as retirement announcements can be, do we believe at 44 years old, it's once and for all, good, gone, goodbye for Tom Brady. We're ready to talk all about it and other subjects as well, believe it or not, including the NFL playoff ratings. There's a NASCAR race for the first time ever. They're opening up quasi their season without the Daytona 500. And it's in the L.A. Coliseum. I want to talk to John about that. There's there's the Olympics. Hey, by the way, the Olympics, uh, the Winter Olympics getting underway this week. So much to talk about. Reminder, however you found us, sportsmediawatch.com website, social media link. You should be following John at Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N underscore S-M-W. You say, why Paulson? Because that's John's pseudonym. He's Paulson. Paulson is him. Figure it out for yourself. Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch. Uh, that's where you follow him on Twitter. So if you found us through a Sports Media Watch uh, tweet, uh, social media link, uh, the easiest way to get this podcast is to follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. That's where we are. That's how you get us and grab us, usually out early on during the week. Okay, uh, let's get into it. Your reaction here, not just to Tom Brady retiring, which I don't think is a total shock to everybody that that's what happened. 
but really for the last five days, kind of a sports media soap opera where ESPN went with the story first, John, on Saturday. Adam Schefter, Jeff Darlington to Titanic. Uh, certainly Schefter is the premier information guy. No offense to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, Jay Glazer of uh, the NFL on Fox coverage, but Schefter seems to be the guy time and again that has it uh, first and has it right. Jeff Darlington, fantastic NFL reporter. Uh, know a lot about him, know him uh, very well. All right, they had it Saturday. Then Brady quasi-refuted it to the Buccaneers, didn't go public, didn't confirm it, didn't deny it. Went all the way through his podcast on Monday night. The podcast ratings, John, had to be through the roof on the Tom Brady Let's Go podcast, where he said almost nothing. He said what you would expect, which is, I'm still trying to make my mind up. Well, his mind was apparently made up for a social media post on Tuesday saying, that's it. Okay, I've laid it all out for you. What's your reaction to the, the tremendous interest all weekend leading to Brady's retirement? Well, So let's talk about the initial reporting by ESPN, which obviously was accurate, right? But, you know, I mean, it's an interesting question because obviously I think most of us are going to assume that Brady did come to a decision and that all of that extra stuff was just him saving face because he wanted to be the one to announce the decision, right? Now, you know, there could be the alternate reality where, Schefter jumped the gun and Brady really hadn't decided yet, but I mean, realistically. So with that in mind, ultimately Schefter and ESPN took a lot of heat. They probably didn't, not probably didn't, but they didn't deserve for jumping the gun. And ultimately, you know, that's kind of just what happened. People love to bash the media and, you know, look, this, frankly, there's good reasons for that in a lot of cases. I mean, if we're being Mm -hmm. told, honest all right i'm not going to be an apologist for you know uh, an industry in certainly corporate journalism that fails with uh, regularity to do things right but you know people also like to bash the media and uh in this case unfairly now Schefter has had a rough year you know uh, he had uh, and people have been gunning for him for a while you know um his style of reporting i'm sure is very irritating to people I'm sure there are people who don't necessarily consider him a journalist, right? Because ultimately, you know, this kind of goes back to the Mark Leibovich book. uh, What was it? Uh, Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. And in that book, Leibovich talks about uh, Schefter being a nuggets guy. You know, basically, he will just tell you all the little nuggets that are going on. And Wojnarowski is like this, too. And Jeff Passan is like this, too, where ultimately the style of reporting that they're doing is kind of promotional in a way when you're promoting, you know, when, when the stories that you're writing are always ginning up interest in the league, the league likes that the league likes Schefter, probably the same way that, that the NBA liked Ahmad Rashad. Right. Um, you know, but at the same time, even though the kind of reporting that Schefter does might make him a little bit, you know, people who want harder journalism might cast an aside glance at him. Ultimately, you know, I mean, he probably deserves a little bit more backup than he got this weekend, just because the story was solid and he's not, you know, maybe a little bit more faith that he wouldn't be jumping the gun if he didn't know for sure. Um, 
And in fairness, his role, so that we're clear on this, and again, I have a broadcast journalism degree. You teach about the media and broadcast journalism. His role is information guy. His <laughs> job is to ferret out information. He is not your guy to be an investigative reporter, to go get every side to every story and ferret it out for the public to read or to watch or to consume um, and again, he's fantastic at being able to grab it and get it first. He has had some swings and misses uh, in his career, but by and large, again, head of the class uh, on that. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, ESPN's in the middle of a huge day of college basketball. And at halftime of the first game, John Lewis, while we're talking sports media, we have Reese Davis, Seth Greenberg, and LaFonso Ellis, their college game day crew, sitting in Fog Allen Fieldhouse, an empty Fog Allen Fieldhouse, to do the Saturday halftime show of the first game. They're promoting that later in the night, Kentucky and Kansas are playing on ESPN. And the whole first part of the halftime show is, here's Adam Schefter, take it away. And Reese Davis interviewing Adam Schefter about the Tom Brady news for about three or four minutes and then getting reaction from the college basketball people about the Tom Brady news. What is your take on that? Well, ESPN loves to have announcers for one sport talking about another sport. Uh, there was a really rough period several years ago where they would do this regularly and you had like Harold Reynolds talking about the NBA <laughs> uh, for no reason. But, you know, look, ultimately... I know Ben Koo was on Twitter saying that ESPN, you know, and Ben Koo is the awful announcing, uh, the, right. the, main, the main person behind awful announcing, um, you know, saying that ESPN was, you know, it was a worst case scenario for them. They had live sports. I don't know. I actually kind of disagreed because I think other than a Kobe style tragedy, mm -hmm. you don't need to be on the air first for something that, you know, ultimately, it's an important story, but people are going to read about that on Twitter. They're going to, you know, read about it on NFL Network. And I actually think that Brady's retirement as a television viewership driver would be probably less impactful than the games ESPN was hearing at that time. Right. I mean, you're not going to get huge numbers for, oh, my goodness, Brady's retired, at least in one place. Right. right. And people can satisfy their interest in that on Twitter. Your point being, if they went on and on for an hour or mm -hmm. marathon coverage, it's not going right. to get the same as live games is what you're saying. I would. Yeah. For, for, for an, for a retirement announcement. Yeah. You know, um, when we're talking about breaking news, breaking during games. So there was Brady, obviously there was Kobe and that was during the pro bowl. And then on a much less, you know, important note, uh, I remember when LeBron signed with the Lakers, that was during Sunday night baseball. And again, there's only one of those three that to me is you have to break into coverage. And that would be Kobe. Right. The rest of them, you can satisfy people's interest with the bottom line and a few cut-ins every now and again. I, I don't necessarily think you go into rolling coverage over Tom Brady's retirement. And the NFL network, so that we clarified, they didn't really do the rolling coverage again. Uh, they are an empire. They have a new facility right next to SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles where they're about to play the Super Bowl. They've got an army of people. But even they on Saturday didn't go wall to wall with all of their people, just so that we're clear on this while covering the coverage, uh, if you will. Um, look, uh, the one thing I kept thinking when you were saying this is the famous cliche, don't kill the messenger, right? That goes all the way back 
to to olden uh, what mythological times or even olden olden uh, times of whoever the messenger is didn't want to be the messenger because when he delivered the bad news, whatever it was, he had to duck to make sure he didn't get taken out, beheaded. Don't kill the messenger. In Schefter and Darlington's case, it was, hey, you want to have slings and arrows at us and be mad at us, and, and we're doing it on a college basketball Saturday. We're the ones that have found it out. It's our job to report info and news. Don't kill the messenger, John. Uh, just follow up on that one more time. Well, Schefter gets it from both sides. He gets the people who hate the media and they, you know, the people who have been using the acronym BSBN since like the mid 2000s, right? And he gets it from people in the media who are like to be gatekeepers and say, well, you don't do real reporting, so you're not a real reporter. And, you know, I mean, so ultimately, yeah, there was a lot of glee in the idea that Schefter might have gotten it wrong when we realistically why wouldn't you believe Schefter over Tom Brady who do you think is going to be the more honest broker here now yeah there's a lot of failures in journalism a lot right but realistically journalism is a place where your reputation is based on accuracy now that doesn't mean you know you don't still have inaccuracies but your reputation is based on accuracy in journalism and in football, that's not true at all. You can lie in basically every other aspect of life. You can just lie with impunity and not get into any trouble, right? But in journalism, right, you, right. Have, to, you have to be accurate. So why would you assume that Schefter was either sloppy or jumping the gun rather than Brady is kind of wanting to make this announcement on his own terms and he and his entire you know, group are not necessarily lying, but certainly not being 100% honest about what's going on. Right. So, you know. And you notice with, and, and a couple more on this, and then we'll move on to the games themselves and the Super Bowl that's now being set with the Rams and the Bengals. Uh, you notice that the release of this, coordinated for Tuesday morning, was a social media post. And just amateur detective for me, maybe that is what – Schefter and Jeff Darlington were on to that they both found out this is being prepared for there's a timeline maybe it's out Monday maybe it's out Tuesday and that's when they had sources etc to you John Lewis sportsmediawatch.com does it surprise you that when Brady had the chance on his own podcast on the Monday night he didn't say something or that the announcement wasn't a video announcement that we didn't see him saying it as so many others have said goodbye in a press conference setting or now in the instantaneous age of social media, they say it on video. Did it surprise you that he didn't do it in person on video somewhere? No, not really, because, you know, I mean, ultimately, the fact of the matter is Brady's kind of his own man in that way, and he doesn't necessarily have to do it the way other people have. Uh, certainly he's got his own multimedia platform, you know, and all of that as well, but maybe he just felt like he wanted to go out on his terms and didn't necessarily want to do it the way that everybody else has. Fair point on that. So we move on to the actual games themselves that were dramatic. Once again, uh, just an incredible last two weekends of the divisional round four games. And now the championship games of the AFC and NFC playoffs the AFC playoffs, obviously, no, you get no more dramatic than an overtime for the chance to go to the Super Bowl, which is what happened. And then it looked like we might be heading for the same thing with the game in Los Angeles between the 49ers and the Rams. Are we going to overtime part two on Sunday night before the Rams pulled it out, a late field goal, a stop of the 49ers. So L.A. will now host 
Yes, wait a minute. Let me look and confirm it. The Cincinnati Bengals, who become just the third franchise in the history of the NFL to have a two-win season and two years later be in the Super Bowl. Uh, By the way, Joe Montana and the 49ers, one of the other two, they had a two-win season. They won the Super Bowl two years later. Here we go, John Lewis, against the Cincinnati Bengals, believe it or not, when they did it. Pretty remarkable turnaround for Cincinnati. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about the ratings and everything that has now come out? Uh, Bengals and Chiefs scoring well for CBS, and obviously Fox doing well even with the two West Coast teams, Rams and 49ers. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, one, I would say uh, we got pretty close to having the Bengals make three Super Bowls several years apart and playing the 49ers each time. (laughs) Very interesting. Uh, You know, the fact of the matter is these numbers are very good. Don't get me wrong. Both games had higher ratings in the equivalent windows last year or the year before. So make that clear. Having said that, the out-of-home impact is pretty clear right? 50 million viewers for 49ers Rams. That game had a 23.4 rating. So a 23.4 rating is big, but all the other conference championship games to get at least 50 million viewers had at least a 28 rating. So now to be clear, the household rating does not include out-of-home viewership because it's the household rating. They mean it literally, the rating in the household. So uh, the household rating does not include out-of-home viewing. So you can see that that's kind of controlling for inflation a little bit, right? And when you can get 50 million viewers on a 23.4 rating, that's not necessarily a reflection of interest, right? It's a reflection of the methodology has changed. Right. And so typically a game like that would get you a number in the mid 40 million range, which is huge. But 50 million historically has been reserved for the very best games, the very best like Viking Saints, you know, huge overtime thrillers involving big time teams, not, you know, an NFC West rematch between two teams that, you know, Fox ideally would have had the Packers in here, the Cowboys in here, the Bucks in here. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to take away from the numbers, but out of home is why that got 50 million. If not for out of home, it would not have. Okay, so one interesting point, because CBS put this out there, that the chief uh, Bengal number is the biggest one in eight years. It is also the biggest television audience for that game since the Super Bowl broadcast a year ago, Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs also on CBS. So, I mean, it's just it's massive audience compared to what else is out there. You're just saying, as you've consistently done on this podcast, keep it in perspective on what the rating is and what the actual audience is. I thought this was interesting. I've got a colleague who works uh, that I know very well for the CBS O&O in the Tampa Bay market. And he said they also take into account with a special part of the, the metric and the, and the uh, measurement, the uh, delayed viewing through DVR broadcast. They can gauge that as well and factor that in on how much DVR viewing, and it still counts if there's a DVR view within 24, 48 hours, it still counts to a degree. Somebody that may have actually even watched the game, John, but if they're watching it again, they can track that and register that through the, through the rating and through the service. So... Um, again, we're talking about massive, massive audience. Does it surprise you that the dramatic finish 
for the Rams and the 49ers maybe didn't do better seeing as how that game was over before 10 p.m. Eastern time, kind of in the Super Bowl window there of when it's typically broadcast. Uh, did the two West Coast teams hurt it from being an even bigger number, or what's the what's the theory from John Lewis? Well, it would definitely have been bigger if the Packers were there, the Cowboys or the Bucks, for sure, uh, no doubt. Um, assuming it was as good of a game, right? Um, you know, ultimately, again, it did well. Don't get me wrong. That's a nice number. But I'll put it this way. It had a the ratings point was uh, lower than for Rams Saints back in 19. That was the game with the bad call. And that Rams Saints game had a higher rating, but six million fewer viewers. Right. That's the out of home effect. So this is a game that would probably in the old days have ranked somewhere in the you know, let's say mid 40 million range. And that's a great, excellent number uh, and, and an incredible number, but not 50 million. Can we clarify if you know, and I think you probably do, the out of home takes into account somebody on their phone and or their iPad. It takes into account a sports bar that might have it on. What all qualifies on out of home, if you know, just out of curiosity, because they've got to have metrics like we're talking about here on how they keep right. track of it. Well, so keep in mind that the like the phone and the uh, you know the, the streaming aspect that's separate. So that's right. already being factored in uh, in its own way. The out of home does it's 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 not what people really think because ultimately, you know, you could make a credible argument that it's kind of fantastical, right? Because you're talking about. You have to have your portable people meter on you. Uh, the TV in wherever you are has to be on with sound because that's how they are able to pick up that you're watching the program. And then if you're an advertiser, you're probably sitting there wondering, well, how do I know that this person with their people meter on being measured as watching the game even had their face turned to the TV? Because remember, all of this is for the ads. Sure. So you're sitting down at a bar uh, you, you're probably, you know, the game might be audible to you, but you might not even be paying attention to it. And you definitely aren't sitting down glued, you know, to the screen during the advertisements. There's no way. At so, some point I've got to have my honey barbecue wings. Amen. Keep exactly. going. Exactly. And, you know, so out of home is, I mean, somebody at Nielsen could say something completely different, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. But out of home has always, to me, kind of seemed a little bit more like the networks really wanted it. They felt like they were being shortchanged and they were right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this is such a reliable measure that these numbers you can look at and say, oh, these are great numbers. The fact that Nielsen was undercounting them to begin with, you know, kind of already tells you that this is not something that they are easily tracking. Uh, and, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I do feel like two things are true. Out of home viewing is a huge part of the sports audience. And nonetheless, I get the sense that the Nielsen out of home measurements are a bit inflated. I don't necessarily know that we can sit down here and say that these numbers are a completely accurate reflection of who's watching you know, and, you know, certainly out of home. Uh, in home, I, I understand why people don't necessarily buy the Nielsen estimates in home, but I think, you know, when they're actually going into people's homes and making sure the equipment is working as opposed to during COVID, I think they've done a fairly good job of making that, 
reliable. But I don't know if you can say that about out of home. I just don't think out of home is, I just don't think out of home is there. Uh, so to me, it comes down to, it's really good for the networks and they are gonna love it. It's gonna be great for the TV contracts. Everyone is rising. Undisputed is finally getting numbers that are markedly higher than the Jamie Foxx show. You know, the reality is <laughs> that everyone is benefiting except the advertisers. And it's going to be, I'll put it this way. Everyone's benefiting. So nobody's going to be really looking into whether or not this is legit for real. Right. I mean, right. there's too many people who are going to be benefiting from it for anyone to slow down and say, how reliable are these numbers really? And are these really in actuality inflated? Now, and you bring up a great point where you're talking about journalism is kind of out the window, ethics, lying, whatever. And a lot of a lot of what's out there in real life is hocus pocus. And do we really believe it? I'm not looking to go down a political rabbit hole about anything in politics. We're not going to talk about COVID-19 and vaccines. But in terms of things like finance, do we really believe this about our money and how that worked and, and what's artificial and what's real and you know, job figures. I mean, we, we have a hard time as the public, as individuals trying to decipher, is this really real? And you bring up a great point. If everybody involved, I mean, for example, the whole mortgage uh, blow up of the late 20, the late 2000s, the early 2010s, and how all of that happened. The reason why and there's been books written about it, there's been movie, there've been movies made about it. And there's been a lot of study about it, classes being taught about it. John, you know, this in the academic world, the the crux of it is everybody involved stood to benefit if you could continue to keep it going that this is not real life with the prices of real estate and the prices of your home and the prices of re refinancing. And once the tidal wave shifted to this stuff isn't real, your house is not worth $750,000. Your house is only actually worth $300,000. And you're no longer able to get an interest-free loan because they're hocus-pocus. It's a disaster. No, Nobody can pay for those down the road in terms of the banks. Once, I love, I love the point you're making. Once it became illuminated, everybody has an interest on not telling you what's real. It's kind of the <laughs> same thing with the ratings. Those that are involved have an interest in telling you that's not telling you that's not a real number. That's not the real number. You said on this podcast, just to compliment you, uh, when a, when ESPN slash ABC was showing the end of the year game with the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs, you said, I don't buy it. I'm paraphrasing. You said, I don't buy that 19 rating or whatever it was or 19 million clarify for me, whatever you were saying. You said, I don't buy that. I don't think that's the real number. And And here, you know, again, it was kind of a speed bump. Nobody really called them out on it, but you were right on that saying you got to you got to sometimes raise your hand and call BS on some of this that it may not be real. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, the reality is that ratings have always been kind of a suggestion, right? The whole idea that I can tell you, well, three million eight hundred sixty two thousand viewers watched. It's always been not true. Right. The, the, the exact aspect with Nielsen has always been in its own way, kind of marketing, right? Nielsen wants you to think that they have chips in every single home and can tell you exactly how many viewers did this and that, because obviously it makes them look really good. Uh, but, you know, we're not, this is not Google Analytics here where, you know, you have, 
you actually do have cookies and things like that that can give you a semi, right. uh, you know, exact number. It's reliable data in terms of, I'm not going to take any issue with, again, this is typically, right? Because we know that during COVID, Nielsen was doing a lot of stuff differently that resulted in inaccurate numbers. But typically, I would say Nielsen's sample is big enough to be reliable. Their methods are strong enough to be reliable. Doesn't mean that, you know, the accuracy, the exact pinpoint accuracy that they like to put. I mean, if you've ever seen what a household rating looks like, it's not 2.8, it's 2.85674, you know, it's like pi, right? Uh, and, you know, it, it's to a level of, they, they don't put out margins of error or anything, you know, and there's not like with polling where a poll comes out and you're like, this is not true, you know, or, well, let me see what the other pollster says, you know, people just kind of take it as gospel. And, you know, I'm not saying that out of home viewing would not result in big numbers. In fact, it might be the case that if out of home viewing was really truly measured to you know, a perfect, accurate way, you might be talking 60 million for that game instead of 50 million. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just saying that the way that out of home is measured to me makes me feel like these particular numbers as compared to the previous numbers that did not include out of home, uh, it makes me feel like these numbers are inflated. And they have every reason to want them to be inflated because again, you're selling off of that as well. And there's no disputing the NFL is king and the numbers are massive and they're far more massive than anything else that's being televised, including live sports. That much we know. We continue along with John Lewis. You're hearing his voice, very educational here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. But let's get let's get into uh, some other topics uh, as well. I know one thing that you have been uh, eyeballing here, and we're in an interesting time period. An NHL All-Star Game is looming this weekend. A Super Bowl is looming the following weekend. The NBA All-Star Game the week after that in Cleveland. You're still monitoring the NBA, its progress, its popularity. One thing is apparent. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets are both struggling, and that may not be good. I'll qualify it as me. That may not be good for the television ratings and the television product as the year goes on and into the postseason. What are your thoughts with what you're seeing real quick, John? Well, I want to be clear, the Nets and Lakers are not in the same boat, right? The Nets are still 29 and 20. The Lakers are 24 and 27. The Nets are still out of the play-in. The Lakers are probably not going to get out of the play-in. But, you know, uh, certainly the Nets right now could end up with Durant's injury and the fact that Kyrie can't play home games. Very easily, the Nets could end up in that play-in in the East. The East is really tightly bunched up. So they're pretty close to first place, but they're even closer to the play-in, right? Uh, and as far as the Lakers, LeBron is going to be out a little bit longer. He hasn't played the last three games. He had a knee soreness. And they're 24 and 27. Uh, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is it's getting late early for the Lakers. At this point, I'd say that the Democrats have as good an opportunity to hold on to the house as the Lakers do to win a single playoff game. And, <laughs> uh, we may so, hold you to that. It's only the beginning of February, but we may hold you to that. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, so it's a good line. A, and it's a difference between a 5% chance and a 0% one, right? <laughs> for, the, for the Lakers. Uh, and, you know, ultimately it's just going to be interesting to see what happens because you want LeBron at least in the first round, right? right. Uh, if you have golden state, then you're good. I wouldn't say you're golden because we remember the 19 playoffs where golden state was there all the way to the finals and their games did well, but the other games weren't doing so hot. Right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you want to have more than just the one team. So that's where the Nets come in. But if the Nets were to somehow, and it's much more likely that the Nets will make the main field, right? Uh, the Nets, they're not in the play-in right now. But if things were to go really badly, and during this stretch without Durant, they were to fall into that play-in, and then, you know, you're talking about one or two games, right? Uh, that could be a situation where you don't have them now. And help me recollect off the top of my head. It was LA and golden state and LA played their way in, in the Western play in last year, which again, you're holding your breath. If you're the league, because either way, I mean, golden state did a tremendous job uh, just to make the play in game and hang in there, but the league's holding its breath. They wanted LeBron and company for at least a series, which is what your point is about Brooklyn with Durant, Kyrie, they want them for at least a seven-game series, if you can get it. They're not going to make a PA announcement about that, but yeah. they want that if they can get it. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact is the Nets are not as big a draw as, you know, Golden State, but they've got the Stars. And if you look at the rest of the East, you know, if the Bulls can – I mean, the Bulls are surprisingly still in first. Uh, they, I thought the Bulls would be the ones to fall into the play and do the injuries, but they're, they're still in first place. You know, uh, if you got the Bulls in there, the Sixers are a big market team. The Cavs could have, you know, a bit of an underdog story to them. They're in fourth, better record than the Nets. You know, as long as you, you know, no offense to Giannis and company, but as long as it's not the Bucks, it's survivable, right? The Bucks are a very small market team. Uh, and frankly, as long as it's not the Heat, who are not a small market team, but they're a mid-sized market team that doesn't play the aesthetically pleasing basketball that people like to watch. So if you can, you know, if it's not the Nets, it's not the end of the world, but you're going to need the Bulls to catch on. You're going to need maybe the Sixers to catch on a little bit more than they have in the past. And uh, ultimately, that whole Nets-Lakers finals preview, I mean, that's not happening. That's not happening. Uh, but if you can get Nets Warriors instead, that might be even better. But, you know, uh, you, you, you're going to need the Nets to be in there. You've got to have those guys. Sure. And you know that I'm a big college basketball guy. Kentucky looks like Kentucky again. They wiped out Kansas the other night. Duke looks like a power that will be in the NCAA tournament. UCLA looks like the UCLA team of a year ago. Gonzaga, Final Four caliber team again. You start spreading this around to the brand names of college basketball to have them in the NCAA tournament mix in March. That's that's how I relate it to what you're talking about that the NBA wants much later in their postseason when it comes about. All right. Time to get rolling. Several different subjects. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Number one, the Olympics will begin. In fact, they're beginning on Wednesday as we release the podcast, but the NBC coverage does not begin until Thursday. Help me on my timeline here. Opening ceremonies, John Lewis, not until uh, Friday. I think it's pretty well established because you've said so and point proven. Uh, you're not a big fan of having this anyway, but they are going to televise it. Okay, so here we go with the Olympics. John Lewis being televised on NBC, the Winter Olympics from Beijing, China. Quick thoughts from you as it opens up. Um, it's, you know, I mean, what, what, what more can be said? It's an Olympics that is occurring during the Super Bowl hype period. No one's really paying attention to it who is a sports fan. As far as sports fans go, this Olympics is a nothing burger, right? Unless you're a fan of a niche sport like figure skating or skiing or, you know, uh, uh, that's pretty much it other than hockey and I guess snowboarding. Now, if you are an Olympics fan, maybe you'll still be there. 
because you're going to ride, you know, the Titanic all the way down to the bottom, right? That's kind of the way it is sometimes when you're a fan of a niche sport or a niche TV show. Uh, and ultimately, you know, uh, I think the Olympic fans will still be there. Now, as far as the non-sports fans and the people who aren't Olympics junkies, the casual fan who tunes in for the Olympics because it's a big event, that's going to be interesting. I don't know what they're going to do because we're talking about a demographic that now has so many more options. They have Netflix, they have every streaming thing known to man, right? They have HBO Max and maybe, maybe perhaps Peacock as well, although that's certainly not like the first option. Uh, and when it comes down to it, you're talking about a demographic that back in 2010, when the Olympics was in Vancouver, it was a big event. You know, that was the era of big event TV. American Idol was still big back then. You would get huge mm -hmm. numbers from American Idol every week, you know, and people still gathered around their TV sets to watch TV, uh, you know, if not necessarily at the time the event was airing, then that night, because as you mentioned, ratings include live plus same day DVR. Uh, but that kind of appointment TV is over. It's just over. And, uh, you know, that would affect any Olympics. It would affect an Olympics that was in Salt Lake City if that was happening right now. But it's definitely going to affect an Olympics that's in Beijing. Uh, the, uh, as I've mentioned before, we know that the perception of China is extremely, extremely negative right now. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of that has been kind of political culture war stuff. But realistically, there's no pro-China, like, constituency right now. It might be that maybe one political party is making more hay of it than the other, but like there's no pro-China like constituency. Oh, it's the, it's the opposite. And we yeah, know that. Exactly. We know what the truth is. It's anti. It's boycotted. Yeah. It's don't watch it. Sure. Exactly. And so, you know, you look at Russia. That would be the last time you had an Olympics in a country that was just not a friend of the United States to a lot of people. Uh but that was like pre-2016 Russia too. So Russia had a negative perception. And they, like I mentioned last week, they were literally blowing passenger planes out of the sky, right? <laughs> but it was not what we see right now. You know, this would be like if Russia hosted the Olympics in 2018 after that election in 2016, which would have been, if you want to talk about one political party making hay, that would have been a, right, have been right. a real, real thing there. So look, I mean, it's, I mean, it's going to do poorly. I mean, I, I think NBC has set the bar low. Uh, I read a report by Claire Atkinson and Insider the other day that NBC is guaranteeing a six rating. It's a pretty low guarantee for the Olympics. Right. I think that's low enough that they could clear that bar. I mean, if the Olympics average is less than a six rating, goodness. Uh, but it's going to do very poorly historically. And if you're NBC, you're just kind of going to try to ride it out. And this is the third consecutive one where it's in the Far East on the time displacement of being 14 hours ahead of Eastern time. And yeah. so it's not just that it's not in Europe, which is only five, six hours, depending six, seven hours, depending. But now day is night, night is day, displaced viewing, uh, you mentioned the anti from the political part of it. And the Winter Olympics, let's be honest, are not the same as the Summer Olympics in terms of the interest from the track, the swimming, the basketball, the different things that we have in the Summer Olympics. 
and and you make the biggest point of all where they're trying to score with the figure skating the figure skating isn't big enough the u.s names aren't big enough where i don't know that that's going to salvage it either when they try to prepackage the figure skating in another week or two yeah. on nbc with what they do any final thought though before we move on to another one are we good on the olympics beginning we well, covered it? i will say there is definitely going to be one night at the olympics that does really well and it'll be the night that they follow the super bowl that's going to be a very interesting uh right. rating so uh, there, there might be at least one night where NBC gets 20 million for one of those windows. And that's strategic because, again, that will be morning time on the Monday. And we'll see how that does in a couple of weeks right at the uh, right at the very end. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. Very interesting that NASCAR will do something different. They will not open with the Daytona 500. This weekend, Fox will have the Bush clash at the Coliseum, as in the L.A. Coliseum, a NASCAR temporary track being constructed on the floor of that venerable building. Speaking of the Olympics, they had the Olympics in 1984 there. Uh, with the track and field, the opening and closing ceremonies taking place in that L.A. Coliseum, which has been the longtime home of the Rose Bowl, the USC Trojans, uh, temporarily the L.A. Rams uh, a few years before their new stadium has been built. Okay, love it or leave it. Are you going to check this out some? We've got no football on Sunday this week, but we've got a NASCAR race at the L.A. Coliseum before the Daytona 500. That's kind of unusual. Usually that's their biggest event, and it usually kicks off their season. John, thoughts real quick? Yeah, well, you know, NASCAR wants uh, to try to get some attention before the 500. It's more difficult for them this year because the Super Bowl is the weekend before the 500. Now, you want to have a little bit more of, you know, America's attention leading into their big race. And ultimately, uh, we'll see how this does. The Pro Bowl is Sunday and the Pro Bowl doesn't matter to anybody, but right, you know, it's it does. The Pro Bowl do better than the Daytona 500 does. Right. We know that, mm -hmm. that, that that's the case of late. Uh, so, you know, there might be some difficulty getting people's attention, um, you know, but hey, in this world, you're really limited in trying to get people's attention nowadays. So if, if, if there's any curiosity at all from having that race be at the LA Coliseum, you know, they're going to have it back on Big Fox. The, uh, the clash has been on FS1 for quite a while. This used to be the Budweiser shootout. And back when NASCAR was really rolling, that used to get big numbers. It's incredible the kind of numbers NASCAR was getting when mm -hmm. it first and, and people just, you know, you wouldn't be able to understand it now if you were a relatively new fan of the sport or a relatively new observer of sports media. But you're talking about an event in the Bud Shootout that used to be in the seven, eight million range. And that was like a low number. Like uh, I'm looking at 2011, it had 7.8 million viewers and it was like the lowest in five years. I mean, it's just incredible that uh, how, how far the numbers fell. But ultimately, you know, you can't deal with the past. You got to deal with where you are now. And where NASCAR is now is actually pretty decent, right? Um, you know, it's they're not a huge sport. They're not the sport of the future like they felt like they were in 2005. You're not going to be hearing anyone going, well, we're really the number two sport, not baseball. They actually had a conflict, NASCAR and baseball at that time, or who was number two behind football. I mean, they're not going to be doing that. But I think they're, you know, they're, once you can just stabilize your ratings, then you're in a good place. And that's where they are now. So it's and one of the things that, again, I'm in the South and I have a NASCAR fandom background. I watch it some. I used to watch it much more. My, my family, my extended family and others 
personalities are gone from the sport and that hurts it. The Dale Earnhardt personality that was there, including his son Earnhardt Jr. After that, Jeff Gordon, love him, hate him guy. Uh, interesting on that too. I found it also interesting. Jeff Gordon, not going to be in the booth, by the way, I believe I saw that Tony Stewart now stepping in, uh, as well into the booth, at least on a part-time basis on the NASCAR on Fox coverage with Mike joy and Clint Boyer in the booth. I saw that, uh, as well, but the personality driven part of this, that, that, uh, helped fuel it in the nineties and in the two thousands before the 2010s, not the same anymore. Uh, for that sport we've got time for one more love it or leave it the usfl and again i'm in the tampa st Pete clearwater area where the tampa bay bandits were a big deal back in the 1980s when i first moved to this area as a middle schooler high schooler the bandits were a big deal the usfl was a big deal whether you're talking about birmingham stallions or the philadelphia slash baltimore stars or uh, all of those teams, the Chicago Blitz, the L.A. Express with Steve Young, the Houston Gamblers. Look, John Lewis is amazed at me rattling this off. Uh, Jim Kelly and the Houston Gamblers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, reboot some 35 years later now to the USFL in 2022, where Fox has gone in and bought up the names of the teams. Very interesting, though. They're not going to play in the cities of the names they're all gonna they're gonna play all the games in birmingham alabama sweet home alabama centrally located all televised in one location so the initial thrust of this is a television product not trying to grow it with fans in different markets by being able to go to games see the players get autographs any of that all right john what's your thought on the usfl that'll be kicking off soon and i know uh, television contracts already in place and the opening game is even going to be on two networks as a matter of fact well, you know, NBC and Fox are going to simulcast that first game, assuming, you know, uh, I'm sure two years ago on February 1st, you could say that things were going to happen in April and assume that they were going to happen in April, right? So we're going to assume that uh, that that'll happen. Uh, and if, if everything goes as scheduled, that's going to be a night when the NBA playoffs is starting. Almost certainly would be a Warriors game with Steph Curry on ABC in that same window. You're not going to do that well, even on two networks against that. That's the one NBA, you know, the NBA's ratings have taken a hit. And uh, look, uh, especially, you know, maybe it's Warriors-Lakers, right? Because the only way the Lakers are getting into the main field is as the eight seed. They're going to be in that 9-10 game. They're going to have to win the 9-10 game, then, the se- then beat the loser of the 7-8 game. And if it's Warriors-Lakers... Good night, right? See yes, you later. Exactly. So it's going to be a tough, a tough matchup, right? I mean, granted, the Warriors will probably win that game one by 34 points. So maybe there'll be some garbage time. Uh, but uh, look, uh, I, I think everyone's kind of, well, I shouldn't say everyone. I know I'm kind of over the spring football thing. This is the third one in four years. The XFL was very interesting. I thought that was for real. There was a real energy behind it. And that was it. COVID, uh, the shutdowns. They had a window. But even that, even that got off to kind of the running start, just like it did the first time 20 years ago. But by the third, you know this, you were tracking the ratings. By the third, the fourth, the fifth week, it had settled back into like maybe a million people watching on network TV. Certainly not like three, four, five million people watching like you could get for college football or some other things in the fall. I just, I don't have any expectation. I'm with you that this is going to do any better than maybe a million people watch or maybe not even a million people watch, but it's going to be football on TV. They're going to show it, right? Yeah. I mean, you, uh, to bring back in, you know, uh, 
the discussion of having them all in Birmingham. This was something I thought we were going to see more of from the bubble events, because, you know, at the time, in the moment, obviously the bubble uh, was this incredible thing because, you know, if you've been starved for, you know, months at a time, even Vegemite is going to taste good by comparison, right? <laughs> so, you know, in the, the bubble actually in the NBA, and that's why I'm really, I'm actually looking forward to this in-season tournament. The NBA really needs something to make this regular season slog a little bit more exciting. And to gather the whole league in one place for a series of games is kind of a great idea. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of felt like based on that 20 world series and the 20 NBA finals that maybe you start thinking about neutral sites in the championship rounds. Now, obviously, you know, that would be a controversial view, right? There was so much excitement in Milwaukee, for example, those incredible crowds at the NBA finals last year, but you know, if you were at a neutral site in a football stadium, you could get those crowds in the arena for mm -hmm. uh, the entire game. Uh, so, you know, uh, I actually think the neutral side idea is something you'll see more of. I think the Premier Lacrosse League did it too, something like that. The WNBA. Yeah, and a go good ahead. reference to the NCAA tournament by necessity pulled it right. off by it mostly being in greater Indianapolis, not the same site per se. They were rotating through two or three different sites, but it was greater Indianapolis, 68 teams initially, whittle it down to a sweet 16 after the first weekend, moving it around to different venues, but they all stayed in Indianapolis, kind of the same model like you're talking about. And that was as recent as this past March to be able to pull it off. Um, and again, it's going to streamline costs. That's part of the motive. But in, I mean, there's no pretense here. This is a television product. Yep. They're exactly. trying to get people to watch on TV and they don't give two shakes. I'll uh -huh. say shakes about Houston, New Jersey, uh, Michigan. I saw Jeff Fisher's the Michigan Panthers coach, mm -hmm. Tampa Bay. They don't give two shakes about whether or not the fan base is there uh, get together with the players and care about the players and know who the players are. There's, there's no camaraderie with the market and the players. Cause it's all going to be in Bummingham as they like to say it yeah. in the South. Well, realistically, the city doesn't matter in a lot of sports, right. You know um, and uh, it just, it's a great marketing tool because you make a lot of people have a loyalty to a team that they really shouldn't have because it's just the owner's private property. Right. I mean, realistically, it's 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 uh, it's a Glazers team. It's not Tampa Bay's, you know. Not in terms of the Buccaneers. And same thing everywhere. Uh, or as St. Know. Louis found out, it's Cronkies team, yeah, exactly. and I'll pick them up and move them to L.A. with my new stadium and pay you seven hundred million after we leave. But it's my team, and we're leaving. Exactly. So you know the the team name stuff, the city location stuff. It's kind of you know it's it's kind of a lie to begin with. So. You know, I, I find it interesting that they do have the team names in the USFL, mainly for, I guess, brand recognition, but ultimately to try to create this pretend camaraderie, as you mentioned, that really shouldn't exist, you know, but uh, I don't think it's going to, oh, I was mentioning the WNBA before, because I think the WNBA should really think about neutral sites, because they have so much difficulty, the players are always complaining about having to be six foot eight and sitting in coach traveling to these games. They've got this absurdist new playoff format in the WNBA. Uh, it's going to be, for the first round, it's best of three, where the high seed hosts the first two games, and if the low seed wins one, they get the deciding game on their home floor. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. You know, in the WNBA, they have eight teams make the playoffs there out of the 12 total teams. So last year, New York made the playoffs. They were 12 and 20. 
Can you imagine a 12 and 20 team having a home game to advance to the next round? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, so the WNBA should give really serious consideration to going neutral site for its playoffs because one, 90%, well, 90% is exaggeration, but half the time they can't even get their own arenas. They're having to play. The, the, the Detroit Shock won a championship on the campus of Eastern Michigan in Ypsilanti in 2008. Like they, half the time they can't even get their actual arenas. And then the other half of the time they can't even get decent uh, travel accommodations for their extremely tall players. So why don't you just go neutral site? You know, you get, you make it the big mecca of women's basketball every year. You can make it in, you know, uh, Uncasville with, uh, you know, uh, the Sun hosting, or it can be Tennessee, maybe it doesn't have to be a league market. It can be Vegas. You are able then to get away from that ridiculous new idea of the low seed having home court advantage for the final game. You get all of your entire fan base, maybe uh, the entirety of the Rebkel forums. That's like one of the primary women's basketball forums. Maybe all of them just go to that one uh, place and you sure, get some sure. other folks and tourists in there too. And you're able to, one, get rid of the travel problem. Two, you get rid of the not getting your own stadium problem. Three, maybe it becomes kind of an event and you get more raucous crowds, potentially anyway, as well. Because outside of the really good teams in the league, you're not getting great crowds. So neutral site to me, if you're a smaller tier sport, that's the way to go. Well, and uh, it, it could take a page. Like I was thinking Orlando when you thought too with Disney and the fact it's an NBA market and it's had oh, a wait, WNBA wait. team. We're never doing an Orlando bubble again. I understand anywhere. that, but I'm just, I'm thinking of where, where can you go where, right. I mean, and you know, maybe it's Houston that's had a WNBA market. You move it around. Just very interesting on that whole concept. And we'll see what happens with Birmingham and the USFL. One final thing real quick. Well, I was just saying, I just happened to uh, rewatch the open from one of those finals games in the bubble, and it looked like this post-apocalyptic wasteland, which is kind of unfair. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 uh, the wide world of sports complex, it looks nice if you're there on the ground, but that the Goodyear blimp, it just it was, I mean, it was the most depressing possible vista mm -hmm. They should have had that thing in Vegas because at the very least you've got Vegas, you know, for your for your establishing shots. Those establishing shots from the NBA bubble were dire last uh, two Still, years. Still, nobody was on the strip and the lights weren't lit up because nobody was working and everybody was scuttled back in 2020. I know what you're saying, but they did the best that they could to give us games. I mean, the, the image we have here in Champa Bay for the hockey team is the Tampa Bay Lightning skating around in an empty arena in Edmonton with no one there with the yeah. Stanley Cup, as bizarre as it gets uh, when that happened as well uh, with that. But hey, I mean, uh, we got through it in 2020. We rock on now into 2022 for this year. John, we've come to the end of another edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Any final thoughts from you uh, here on uh, all these different subjects, Olympics beginning, Super Bowl upcoming, uh, again, that Bush Clash, NASCAR, NHL All-Star Game this weekend, et cetera, et cetera. Anything else before we're done? Um. Probably, but I can't think of it, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, I will say as far as the NASCAR thing goes, I'm going to be very intrigued to see if that can possibly get a decent number, given the Pro Bowl will take a lot of the people's attention away from it. 
And uh, there's just there doesn't seem to be a ton of hype for it, even though it's just uh, kind of. Hey, the bottom. I work for an NFL team. I at one time would tolerate or watch some of the Pro Bowl. It. it I, this is the truth. It's unwatchable. It's not even a football game anymore. Nobody wants to block. Nobody wants to tackle. The referees are looking to blow the whistle at the first sign of two hand touch. It's not a football game anymore. So I could totally see a tune out, and the ratings have gone off the cliff for the Pro Bowl, by the way, no coincidence. So I could foresee that maybe the Pro Bowl doesn't do that well, and maybe the NASCAR dips into a little bit of the audience with the casual sports fan saying, I don't want to watch another quarter of two-hand touch at the Pro Bowl. I want to watch something else. Hey, this is interesting. That's what Fox is hoping from the Coliseum. Let's watch a NASCAR race for a little bit and see what's on. We'll a see. lot of unwatchable things get pretty good numbers, right? That cable news exists, right? So a lot of unwatchable things get really good numbers. That is that is true. Uh, on that point, we do agree. And on that point, we'll finish up. Again, check out John's site, sportsmediawatch.com. Find our podcast uh, through there. Find it on Apple, Spotify, Google. Make sure you're following or subscribing. John, thank you. We look forward to another week. I appreciate the time here. All right. And we thank you for listening and being with us on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NA, or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.